Hey, we're going to start a new series today. Does character even count? I don't know if you were raised in the church. I, I'm one of those, the day I was born, I was in church. Um, and I quickly figured out that there were kind of two camps in church. Those that really leaned into you got to believe the right things and those that leaned into you got to do the right things. I want to introduce you to a guy named James. I shared this story with you before to launch a different <laughs> message series, but the, the, the story is powerful and it, it works for this one too, so I'm going to retell it. Uh, James, he's in his early 20s. Um, he's far from God and he meets Jesus. One evening, college campus, crusade for Christ, something went on, um, and he just fell in love with Jesus, just fell in love with Jesus. Everything that he had made fun of, right, all the old cliches that how he felt new again and how he felt this glow, he had made fun of all that stuff, but he's like, now I experienced it, it's real. And, and James was so excited about his new faith, right, because probably the most exciting thing that he had learned about was, was grace, right? He figured out finally that he didn't have to earn God's love. Like he couldn't earn God's love. God's love was free. It was a gift. That's what grace is, right? You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. It's, it's just a free gift. It's just because he loves you, right? Grace. And James loved grace because that fit him to a T because he wasn't a really a good person. But he, but he fell in love with Jesus. Now here's Paul James's problem. James fell in love with Jesus, but then as he started going to church, um, he noticed something, kind of what I referred to just a minute ago. He noticed that his Christian friends, they had tons of rules, right? They had tons of rules and they lived very, very strict, self-disciplined lives. And they believed that God wanted them to follow all those rules and do good deeds, but James had an issue with this because God had accepted James simply the way he was. It was grace. And then he's looking at all these new Christian friends and he's like, well, I've got to become now what I couldn't become before, which is why I love grace so much and why I love Jesus so much. And But now I'm expected to become good and, and perfect. And this doesn't make any sense to James. Makes zero sense to James. And again, as a new believer, maybe you guys have already run into this. My guess is you have. The, the incredible tension, the tension between what we believe and, and what we're called to do. Right? What, what do we believe and, and what are our deeds? Is it just what we believe or is it our behavior? What, what counts? What, what counts? And James had run into this issue, this, this tension that we all, as Christians, we all have to face. And we all have to reconcile if we're really, truly going to enjoy a saving, life-filled relationship with Jesus Christ. If we can't reconcile these two ideas and make them work together, make them play together nicely, we are going to be frustrated. Our Christian walk is going to be zero joy. It's just going to be a lot of anger and disappointment, anxiety, because... These two, uh, we'll just dig into them a little bit. One side is represented by Paul. He's one of the apostles, one, one, one of the 12, but he considers himself an apostle because uh, he saw the risen Lord on the road to Damascus. Um, he says, uh, he says that, that there is no um, grace is by faith and, and not by works. And then James on the other side says that uh, you can have faith, but if it doesn't have works, it's a dead faith, right? These are the two kind of competing ideas. And most people will look at these ideas and conclude that they're competing. But what we're going to find out this morning is they're not competing. They really do play nicely together. 
I mean, they're really, really good friends, right? So this is what we're going we're to kind of go there this morning. Now, for Paul's part, he makes a really clear distinction between grace and works. I mean, he spells it just straight out. He wrote this a letter to uh, the church at Ephesus. Um, we know it as the book of Ephesians. Uh, this is in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Paul says, for it is by grace, grace meaning something that you can't earn, don't deserve, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, right? So you believe, and this is not from ourselves, it is a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. So that middle sentence there, right? So we could just say, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, not by works so that nobody can boast. And then Paul kind of threw his explanation right in the middle of his sentence. This is not of yourselves, this is a gift. That's, that's grace. That's the opposite of works. Good deeds. Now, again, this was very, very, very surprising to the Jewish people because almsgiving, which was giving out of your excess to people in need, that was really literally the same word as righteousness. In their minds, the two were inseparable. In fact, to the Jewish mind, your one defense when you stand before God is whether you gave alms, whether you helped the poor. That was your one defense. And now James, Paul is saying, doesn't count. What do you mean it doesn't count? And in fact, now we're going to look at James. So, so we have Paul's opinion, two separate ideas. There's grace and there's works. And the two should never meet, right? Saved by grace through faith. And then James, he jumps in with this idea about the almsgiving. Watch this. This is in James chapter 2, verse 14. And I'll go through, I believe, verse 17. He asks, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? See, James was thinking back to his Jewish heritage. You can't be a righteous person unless you do good deeds. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Now, we're going to come back to this word save because it is, in the context here, it can be very grossly misunderstood and scare us to death, literally. But in the right context, once we understand what's going on here, it is a beautiful, beautiful, amazing um, phrase. So, save. We're going to come back. We're going to circle back around to that word, but I'm going to keep reading in verse 15. It says, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes or daily food. They're, they're in need. Verse 16, if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, well, what good is that? In the same way, you, you, you've all done that, right? I'll pray for you. And then you forgot. I love it when somebody said no. Did someone? Nope, not. That is fantastic. Love that. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? And then verse 17, in the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. And then I'm going to come back around to that word dead, because we've got, to keep, we've got to keep it in context. So that would save and dead. Just kind of throw those words in your hip pocket, save and dead. Super important. We're going to come back to that. Now, here's the issue with Christianity in, in our world today. Because we have been unable to reconcile these two ideas, is it what we believe or is it what we do? The whole rest of the world, they've got opinions. Oh, they, they've, got, they've got opinions. And while we're waffling back and forth between what do we believe, is that all, and I can do whatever I want, or do I just behave and I can believe what I want? And, and 
That, that's probably what the world is. They look at Christians, and if you ask 10 different people what a Christian was, you would more than likely, I can almost guarantee this, you would get 10 different answers. Right? Because this is the problem because we can't reconcile it. The rest of the world's looking at us going, oh, we don't know what you're doing. <laughs> you don't even know what you're doing. So 10 different people, 10 different answers. One person might say, hey, I go to church every Sunday. I'm a Christian. Right? I was born into a Christian family. Therefore, I'm a Christian. I believe that Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead three days later. Therefore, I'm a Christian. I don't smoke, drink, or cuss. Therefore, I'm a Christian. Here's, the, here's a good one. I don't kill people. Therefore, I'm a Christian. Well, one of the commandments says, don't kill. And if I, you can see where people arrive and there's this crazy sliding scale. Like, I don't kill people. I'm, I'm okay, right? I'm okay, right? That's one of the biggies. That's one of the 10, top 10, David Letterman. I mean, God, top 10. Others take a darker view of us. Here's what they would say. Christians are judgmental, homophobic moralists who think they're the only ones going to heaven and secretly wellish the fact that everyone else is going to hell. <laughs> you guys, let's be honest with each other. This is what the world thinks that we think. I, not everybody, but my guess is you have run into some people like this. But here, here, seriously, if you ask believers why they're believers, if you ask Christians why they are Christians, they will most likely, of all their different answers, they're going to come down to two. And maybe, maybe a third, if we could just kind of coalesce them, right? Aggregate them, whatever the word is. I'm a Christian because I believe right things. I believe God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit. I believe the Trinity. You know, I believe that he rose again and he's going to judge the, and da 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 And therefore, I'm a Christian because I believe all the right things. And there are many people who stand on this. And there are other people who hit that next slide. They do the right things. I'm a Christian because I love people. I don't know about the Bible. I mean, I, I don't like to read, but I love people. And I know Jesus loved people, so I just go around loving people, right? I love the secretaries in my office, and you see how weird this could get, right? You see how weird this can get if we decide for ourselves what is, what is love. So is it just doing the right things, or you got to believe the right things about doing the right things? Maybe some of you are spiritually savvy and you said, well, it's neither of those things. I'm a Christian because Jesus did the only thing. And you're like, yes. <laughs> Woohoo. Nah, I don't like that answer either. That, that's not complete. That's, that's not complete. Again, maybe you're a Christian because you said the right thing, right? You said the sinner's prayer. And if you're like me, you kept saying it over and over and over again. Kind of like you take Tylenol hoping that it's going to take, right? Eventually you keep popping and... Eventually, I'm going to feel saved, <laughs> but I'm going to do this every Sunday morning. I'm going to be saved again and again and again. And you kept saying it over. But for others, there's a different path, and this is a very discouraging um, path. There are a lot of people, and you hear about them in the news. They're making big-time news. Um, they are followers of Jesus Christ who are going on record and rejecting the name of Christian. Have you guys been reading about this? A lot of rock stars, a lot of Hollywood stars. Like, I'm no longer a Christian, but I'm a follower of Jesus. Right? Because they don't want to claim that label because it's so confusing. It's all over the place. But a follower of Jesus, that's a pretty narrow description, right? I do what Jesus did. Pretty narrow. I was a Christian, but not anymore. There are some people who believe, and, and there's biblical scriptures that would support this. They read that and they say, oh, no, 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 you can't do that, right? 
what is it? Once saved, always saved? Right? And I know I'm, I'm not from that tradition, but quite honestly, in some dark nights, I kind of hoped for that one. <laughs> like, once saved, always saved, and I can't lose. It's like, that's kind of comforting just a little bit. Um, so some of you were raised that way. Once saved, always saved. The others of you were raised quite differently. You were raised with, with this idea that if you did something bad, if you did that one bad sin, or if you did an, enough bad things, you couldn't call yourself a Christian anymore. You weren't a Christian like, whoa, what did that, how'd that happen? <laughs> I was a Christian this morning, but now I'm not. What, what happened? Well, you remember driving home late that night after that really hot date. And you began to think to yourself, am, am I still a Christian? I don't have to go into detail, right? No details here. Am I still a Christian? And then more importantly, you asked yourself the follow-up question that you were way more concerned with is, do I still get to go to heaven after what I did tonight? <laughs> Am I still a Christian? Do I still get to go to heaven? Bottom line, do I just have to believe certain things and say certain things, or do I have to behave certain ways? Do I have to do certain things and not do certain other things? And in the long run, really, which one is it? Which one will get me to where I want to be? Now, this is very important. Which one will get me to where I want to be, not only when I die, but will get me to where I want to be today? And the answer is the same. They're not two separate answers. All right, which one gets me to where I want to be both today and eventually? Is it a matter of belief or behavior? Which is going to get me what I want? My suggestion to you this morning is if you as a Christian are only thinking eventually that heaven is a place that I'm going to go after I die... And that's your kind of your whole planning system. Everything is put off till later and you're just going to make it through this life. And again, my guess is you're very frustrated. You're very angry. That's not a way to live. That's not a victorious way. That's not a joyous way to live. Um, my guess is, again, if, if that's what you've been thinking, that eventually I'll get rewarded. Eventually I get to experience heaven. Eventually my neighbor will get punished. Eventually right? The scales will be set even eventually when we all die. That's kind of on what's on everybody's mind. And, and the result of that is we all do nothing until we die. We do nothing until we die. Let me show you what I mean. Let me, I, I'm just going to re, I've shared this with you before. I'm going to just kind of very quickly run through several Jewish beliefs that really impact the way we read the New Testament. You've really got to get these, these Old Testament ideas in your head in order to understand what the New Testament writers are saying. First of all, Jewish resurrection beliefs. The Jewish people believed in a resurrection. But they believed that in an, the, the present age and the age to come, and when these two ages... It's not like this one goes away, um, but in the age to come, heaven and earth combine. There's no going somewhere else. Heaven and earth would combine. And what through the Jewish people is they all believed that eventually we would all be resurrected at the end of the present age. We would all be resurrected and we would all enjoy the age to come. Jesus blew the plan out of the water because he showed up resurrected way early. Right? This idea that only one person would be resurrected before all the rest of us, nobody ever thought of that. It was the most, that was an alien idea. That's why I just kind of threw everybody what do you mean he's resurrected? They weren't expecting it. They were expecting everybody to get resurrected at once when the present age ended and the age to come got inaugurated. But here's the killer part. When the present age gives way to the age to come, this is when heaven and earth unite as one. And this is very important. One renewed earth. Not a new earth, not a different earth, but this earth renewed. 
So stop thinking that when you die, you're going to get in a little spaceship and you're going to go off to some heaven place and this place will just burn to the ground and go to hell. That's not going to happen. That's not biblical at all. There's no one leaving here to go to there. Nowhere in the New Testament is this taught. Throughout the New Testament, what is taught is that heaven has come to earth. We don't have to wait till we die to experience heaven. Heaven has already arrived. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can experience heaven on a daily basis. Not only us, but our neighbors and our friends. It's almost like when Christ came to earth, when he brought heaven down to earth, it's like a spiritual realm invaded this physical realm. And every time somebody who's a loving follower of Jesus Christ, every time they do something extravagant and sacrificial, it's like the world's a window opens up between our world and heaven. We glimpse heaven. Whenever we do something extravagant and sacrificial, heaven peeks in on our world. We peek in on heaven. We don't have to wait till we die, y'all. If we love people today and now, we experience heaven today and now. Amen. All right. Amen. The kingdom of heaven is where Christians live out extravagant, sacrificial love, and darkness flees. Eventually is no longer the only option. You do have eventually still. You will die and you, you experience heaven. But that's no longer, eventually is no longer the only option. We don't have to wait around. Heaven has already arrived in part, only in part, the rest when we eventually see Jesus face to face. But here's the most important part. Listen to this. We can stop saying, one day we will. You ever use that phrase? One day in heaven I will. Stop it. Just stop it. By the power of the Spirit that raised, that, that raised Christ from the dead, you have that same power. The things that you're talking about later, the Spirit can give you power to do now. Stop saying, someday. When I go to heaven. When I get there. By the power of the Spirit, you can experience that all right now. Here's the problem with only thinking long-term, with only thinking eventually, with only thinking going to heaven when I die. It's a game I call walking the line. And I know you've played this game. So you've got a thin line, and over here is all the bad stuff, like all the... Ten Commandments that you're not supposed to do. And over here on this side is extravagant, sacrificial acts of love. You follow me? Here's what we do as Christians. Why? First of all, number one, our whole focus is over here. Why? Because our number one, of, our number one priority in life is to avoid hell. I don't know about any of the rest of you. Heaven can be okay, but I do not want to go to hell. That's the biggie. So we walk on this line and we don't... We're so scared, and this is all we're focusing on, all these bad stuff, all these horrible things that we're not supposed to do. And, and here's the crazy part. I mean, and we're focusing on there because we can't violate those because then we'll go to hell. We stay on this line, but we don't do anything over here. Why? Because that's not going to... Uh, by not doing these things over here, I still don't have to go to hell. Did, did you hear that? Doing these things over here doesn't get me... doesn't take away hell for me. Not doing these bad things takes away hell. I can do all the good things in the world, but it doesn't keep me out of hell anymore. So we tend not to focus over here because you know what? We don't need to. We're not going to go to hell because we don't do the bad stuff. 
And so we walk through our entire lives and we walk this center line. We don't do any bad stuff. We don't do any good stuff either. Because we don't have to. Because at least we're not going to go to hell. Whew. Safe. And I can just, if I can just skate through, if I can just make it through, if I can just make it through. The problem is that we miss out on heaven now. The Bible teaches us that every time that we participate in these extravagant, sacrificial acts of love, we experience a glimpse of heaven. And the person that we extravagantly loved experiences an aspect of heaven while on earth. And when we withdraw, they experience hell on earth. And that will continue. Same with heaven, and it will continue after we die. When we live in fear of hell then, we miss out on heaven now. See, we tend to run our whole lives in fear. And Christ came and says, stop living your life in fear. Don't worry about that. Stop being a slave to sin. Just stop looking at it. I want you to look over here. I want you to look at me. I want you to look at love, and I want you to look at sacrificial love. I want you to focus over here. All of that will take care of himself. If I love my neighbor, I'm not going to be coveting. If I love my neighbor, I'm not going to want to kill him. If I love my neighbor, I'm not going to want to lie about him, right? I don't have to worry about any of this stuff. If I just focus on loving, everything else over here takes care of itself, and that's what Christ came. He said, focus on love. I got you covered over here. My blood covers all this garbage. Don't stop worrying about it. It's just making you live a safe, boring existence. Stop it. Stop worrying about all that. I want you to start focusing on loving people, doing crazy stuff. Because here's the kicker. You can follow every rule in the book. You can be the best rule follower in the world, but nobody will notice. Behavior and beliefs aren't very visible like actions are. You guys recognize that. Unless somebody starts talking and, and, and saying what they believe, you would assume that they're a perfectly natural person. But if you ever talk to somebody and they appear very normal and then they start talking and you realize, wow, they're out on the range, right? We focus so much on that fear that we never live for the joy of today. The fact of the matter is this. Heaven and hell have already been turned loose on the earth. By way of Jesus Christ and by way of him leaving his spirit, heaven has already been released, and the absence of that love, hell has already been released. Does that make sense? If we don't love people, this world will tear them apart, and it will feel like hell. And when they die, if they don't know Christ, that hell will continue We and, the, we and the people around us experience heaven on earth when we obey the love commands of Christ. Just as we and those around us experience hell when we love ourselves first and foremost. That's why we behave. We behave because we believe our behavior will save lives in helping redeem the world. Your character matters. It counts big time. Listen to this. There's a fourth choice, right? I do right things because I believe right things. 
Your character matters not only in you experiencing heaven right now, but more importantly, in you bringing heaven to somebody else's hell on earth. When you do extravagant, sacrificial, loving acts. This is the words of Jesus himself. This is John chapter 13. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Because love one another wasn't a new command. In Leviticus, we already have that command. But the command had limitations. You didn't have to love. You didn't have to, you know, your love actually could have a limit. Christ came and said, from here on out, there's no limits on love. Limits are gone. No more limits. Love one another. Here's the new part. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Listen, you can hide behind beliefs and rules, right? But you can't hide behind actions. Actions scream what you believe, what you think, who you are. Rod Small is going to be baptized here in just a few minutes. John's going to help me out in a few Start getting them ready, John. Oh, you're going to be singing something. Yeah, so Rod's getting ready. And in the act of baptism, we are literally saying to the world, um, I'm not going to be quiet about this anymore. I'm not going to hide my beliefs and my rule keeping anymore. I'm going to go public with this thing. And I'm going to go down into that water, and that's going to represent the dying of my old self that was all worried about this. And when I come back out of that water, I'm going to come back out a brand new creature. A brand new creature with increased power, with the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. I am going to be able to handle my life radically different from this point forward. I'm not going to hide anything. I'm going to stand up here in front of my whole church family and I'm going to get dunked by the pastor because I want everybody to know I'm not going to hide anymore. I'm going to love extravagantly and sacrificially. I am a new creature. So listen, as, we, as, as, I, as I pull Rod up out of that water, hopefully I, I can pull him out. <laughs> kind of skinny and I got a bad back. <laughs> loud, loud. This is Rod's new church family and he loves this church family. I tell you what, you sit with him and he just goes on and on about this church family. But he's going to be demonstrating for us a very powerful lesson this morning is that when we die to ourselves and we begin to live for Christ with the resurrection power, then we can do extravagant and sacrificial acts of love. Because as new creatures, right, we have what Paul called resurrection power. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is available to you and me. We can bring life to death. Because we have the power of the Spirit. That's heaven. That's heaven now. People need heaven now. Y'all bow your heads and pray. Father, thank you so much for Rod Small, for his decision to go public to not hide behind anything but to let his light shine so father this morning through Rod's life that he would experience a faith that maybe would have gotten him to heaven but it wasn't a faith that gave life 
It was a faith that was kind of dead. And Father, we, we know that, that, that James wasn't saying that if we don't have works that we're going to go to hell or anything like that. He's just saying that if we don't live out our beliefs, this world can feel like hell. So, Father, this morning as we baptize Rod into this family of believers, we're making an agreement that includes our Heavenly Father, that we will love Rod Small and his family, and Rod Small and his family will love us in return. And in this love, the world will know that we are followers of Jesus Christ, not just Christians, but followers of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for what's about to happen here this morning. By the power of your spirit, thank you. In your son's name I pray.